0: What is up everybody? Another episode of Crust Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo and we are doing our second show of the week. How about this man? Usually we're like one show every month, two months, the way it's been going lately. But here we are, two shows, same week. Opening day is finally here. You can hear it in my voice. I'm fired up.
1: I'm thrilled too, Bob. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. You know, we didn't, we, we, we believed all along that there was going to be baseball. We just weren't sure when it was going to be. It's starting a few weeks later than I think we initially thought, but Hey, guess what? We got it. We have it. And, and, and there's, there's some things being talked about. There's some changes being discussed in baseball. There's a lot going on out there. And we are, we are 20, Well, a little bit, but by the time people listen to this, we are about 24 hours away from first pitch of the season. Yeah. Aaron Nola. We're, we're I'm we're, looking we're, forward to it.
0: You know what? It, this is just a, a situation where it blows my mind. Like we are on the brink of a season and we don't even know how many playoff teams they're going to be. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. Like, <laughs> The chaos and the uncertainty and the unprecedented nature of this season is what's going to add all this natural intrigue. Well, boy, is that not true. I mean, we are in a situation where we just don't even know what the hell's going on leading up to this thing. I believe, I'm pretty sure, I've been busy this morning, the Toronto Blue Jays got permission to play in Camden Yards. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I saw the same thing.
0: There are just logistical things, major logistical things that are still being ironed out leading up to the first pitch between the Yankees and Nationals. It's crazy, but I am so excited, you know, obviously because I love baseball, but obviously because we have spent three plus very long months waiting for this day, and it it feels like Christmas to me, man. I'll
1: tell you what, Bob, I'm going to be sitting on my couch tomorrow night. And I may not get off the couch until su- until Sunday afternoon. I, literally, I may not. I mean, that's it's that's the kind of that's the kind of excitement that I have to watch. But not just the Phillies. I mean, obviously, I want to watch every. I'm going to watch every Phillies game. But I want to watch baseball. I, I might actually start um, w- with the games tonight. You know, sitting down in front of the tube watching it just to just to kind of take in the sport again. But we, we got a lot. We're going, to, we're going to get into all that stuff, Bob. But I'll tell you what, we had a and we haven't even said this yet. We have a special guest on the on the show. We had an opportunity to sit down for about twenty minutes with a newest Philly analyst, former general manager Ruben Amaro Jr. Uh, joined us here on Crossed Up, and he was great. I mean, the the one thing you say what you want with him about him as a general manager, and I think that he was unfairly abused many times in this city. He, he was put in a tough spot, Bob, as a general manager. If you really want to look back at it, he normally GMs come in when teams are in bad shape, right? He, he came in when the Phillies were at their peak, and he was tasked with keeping it that way, <laughs> you know, maintaining the the the, uh, the competitiveness and trying to drive for a second title. And although he did ultimately didn't succeed in doing that, um, I, you know, when you look back at it, I'm, I'm not sure what he could have you know, really done differently. I mean, he was doing what he was asked to do by his bosses. So I think he was, he was unfairly criticized. But the one thing about him is he was always straightforward with the media. He was always honest with the media. He was always direct. And, yeah, he had some, you know, he, he had some blow-ups at times. And I get that. But, I mean, it's tough when you're being questioned every day for 180 straight days by people much, right much maligned yeah. The yeah it's tough sometimes but I think he's going to be great as an analyst I really do I think he's going to he's going to give you the straight dope and, and like if, when you listen to this he, he's going to come up here in just a minute when you listen to this and you listen to his answers you can see it I mean like he the things that he's saying make a lot of sense because he's, he's allowed to tell you his opinion now as opposed to trying to you know just give you the party line or say what he can say without going too far I think now you're going to see I, I think he's going to be a great addition to this to this broadcast I really do I think he's, it's, that's a great pickup for the team
0: yeah so we talked a lot about his new role what he thinks about the JT Real Muto contract situation in light of the deal that muki Becha signed with the Dodgers talked about what he thinks About this team's bullpen. Obviously, that's a huge question mark for us, and really where he sees the team going in 2020. So, uh, like we said, 20 minute interview. He was kind enough to do it. I had an opportunity to bump into him in the press box on Tuesday afternoon, talked his ear off. He agreed to do the show. Uh, Really good stuff. So, we're going to get into that right now. All right, and joining us on the show is Ruben Amaro Jr., former Phillies player, former general manager of the team coach with the Red Sox, coach with the Mets. He's done a little bit of everything. He might be the most qualified person uh, in terms of being an analyst now on television uh, in the industry. Uh, Ruben, thank you for joining us. Truly, truly appreciate your time here today. Happy to be here. So uh, obviously uh, this week it came out that you are going to be uh, working with the Phillies broadcast crew uh, doing both uh, in-game analysis and then also, uh, I believe, doing some pre- and post-game show stuff as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that came up and, and really what you're looking forward to the most with with this whole thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, Phillies a home. You know, over the last uh, several years, I had opportunities and I talked to a, a couple of different uh, companies about the, the possibility of going on air. once I was let go in Philadelphia, I actually talked to MLB Network and uh, ESPN a little bit and, and also Fox uh, Sports as well. Um, nothing really came to fruition at that point. Um, and I ended up taking other jobs, obviously, as a coach. And, and then uh, with the Mets, I was moved into the front office again. But um you know, this is a great opportunity just to just be back home and to talk about uh, something I love, uh, two things I love, baseball and the Phillies, and so uh, so it's an exciting time for me.
0: Is there something from your own personal background or experience that you think is going to be most beneficial? I mean, do you think it is the, the front office experience, is it the player experience, coaching experience, or do you just sort of tie all of these things together? I mean, I know you've really had a, a small sample of work here over the past uh, few days, but Already, do you find yourself leaning on one experience over the other, or is it just kind of a blend of everything?
2: I think it's more of a blend of everything. I think that's the unique perspective that I can bring to the table, um, having played, uh, been in the front office, and, and having been a coach at the major league level as well, as well as a scout even last year. So I've got a lot of different hats that I've put on, and I think that uh, my perspective on all those things can, uh, can hopefully be effective and informative for the fans.
0: Now, we had an opportunity to talk in the uh, press box during the last Intrasquad squad game yesterday for, I guess, maybe 20, 30 minutes. I was bothering you, and uh, I pointed out one of the things that, that I found impressive just in the, the broadcast up in New York the other night, talking about Roman Quinn, and it, it's little things like this where he gets behind a, a routine fly ball, and you had made it a point to basically say, hey, by doing this stuff now, when it doesn't matter, when there is no pressure. When, when the time comes and it's a key situation, it's going to be much easier to execute in those situations. And, and that's something to me that, you know, kind of stood out. Just, I, I obviously was focusing in on the broadcast because I wanted to see what you had to say and how you would handle things. But, you know, for me personally, I thought that was something that was specifically interesting.
2: And I think those are some experience that comes from coaching um, and uh, having discussed, I was one of, one of the things that I was handling when I was a coach was uh, base running and uh, and outfield play, as we've talked about. And uh, you know, it's a couple of those things uh, are actually really very important when it comes to winning baseball games. And I think there are also things that people don't focus on all that much. Um, base running to me is a, uh, is, is critical. I mean, you go back and think about the teams that have won uh, Kansas City Royals when they won the won World, World Series a few several years back uh, they basically won it on uh, on the heels of, of uh, great base running by uh, Lorenzo Cain I think it was in fact and you know just a couple different plays that that created a different scenario for for clubs and and uh, you know, those are the little things that are important for, um, you know, fundamentals are still important in this day and age. And I think that that's one of the things that'll separate hopefully the Phillies because they've got a great coaching staff. And it was pretty obvious that these guys were doing things very well, fundamentally throughout the spring.
0: Since you just mentioned it, I think this is a natural transition into it. Uh, Not that I, I want you to necessarily comment on what plagued this team a season ago or what you felt was wrong with this team a season ago. But what do you think the biggest difference is going to be between the, the previous regime, Gabe Kapler, and what you've seen so far in this limited time with Joe Girardi and, and some of his guys?
2: Well, the beauty of the staff that they've created, and it's a tremendous staff. I mean, let's talk about the triumvirate at the top. Um, when, when you talk about Robbie Thompson, uh, Joe Girardi, and Brian Price, really tremendous uh, coaches with great experience experience does still mean something in this game and uh and they frankly um they've been they've won they've understand what it takes to win they've been in um in programs and in organizations that have had success and uh and you know brian price in fact has worn so several different hats as a manager pitching coach etc i have a great deal of respect for all of those guys and i think that the you know, all kind of starts at the top. If those things are emphasized, if the fundamentals of uh, of winning baseball games are emphasized at the top, then it has to trickle down to the players.
1: I, I apologize if this question's already been asked, Ruben. If it is, we'll edit it out. But um, it, when when you look at this setup, the base, Major League Baseball has this season, and, and you put yourself, try and put yourself in Matt's position or even Joe Girardi's position, um, how would you have approached a shortened schedule like this, and, and I mean that from, you know, from a roster construction or how guys are going to be utilized. However, how would you as, as the general manager have handled it or approached it uh, not knowing what the outcomes are going to be?
2: Well, it's a pretty broad question, obviously, but um, and I think more than anything else, I mean, one of the things that, that's the most challenging is is preparing these players. And I've been most impressed really with, with the physical shape with most of the guys have come in. Um, I think there's a lot of challenges that are created by having these two off-seasons, basically, right? They had an off-season, they ramped up, had another off-season, um, and had to ramp up pretty quickly to get ready. Um and I think it really is a great credit to the players that they are in the kind of shape that they're in. I see some of the velocity that's coming out of the hand uh, from some of the players. I see just physically just having watched their bodies, which is an important element for me, is to, to see whether the guys are taking care of themselves. I mean, you look at Gene Segura, he looks in great shape. Even Reese Hoskins looks like he's slimmer and trimmer and and, and ready to go. Um, those are all critical um when it comes to this short sixty-game sprint, they have to be ready to go right out of the chute. And I think, um, I think the teams that are uh, best prepared fundamentally to play the, um, the play the game right to win baseball games, I think those are the teams that are going to have the greatest success. I mean, pitching always um, is always the thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to be able to pitch to win, but you also have to be able to play defense. And and catch the baseball, and I've been really impressed by what the Phillies have done as far as their defense is concerned, and the things the you know, things that have happened. You know, they got guys moving around the infield. They finally got King Reed to second base. Um, they've got Segura now moving to a new position, and and I think all the instructors, you know, from Castro to Larry Boa, all the people that were involved in spring training and watching them work with him and watching him adjust. Uh, I think it's pretty darn impressive. He looks real good. So, I mean, I like their infield defense. Um, I like their outfield defense. It's going to be uh, pretty strong. I think Roman Quinn's going to be okay in center field. Uh, Hazley, obviously, is going to be battling with him. I think Roman's going to get the bulk of it um, if he stays healthy. Um, McCutcheon's always an excellent athlete. And and really, uh, Bryce Harper's played extraordinarily well in right field, much better than I saw him play in in Washington. And so he's dedicated – and, yeah, and you talk about Ryamoto is probably the best, you know, all-around catcher in baseball. So um, I think those are important elements for these guys to have success. And I think that they focus on those things, and obviously they're uh, hopefully they'll they'll carry those into the into the sixty-game schedule.
0: Is there one player that has stood out to you? Because you just – you mentioned my guy. I mean, for me, since I've been down there, I've I've been down there pretty much every day. Roman Quinn has just jumped off the page at me and and what he's done both at the plate and defensively. Um, Is there anybody that's really jumped out at you?
2: Um, Not necessarily. I think Roman Quinn is a guy that – uh, he's going to be, it's going to be critical for, to keep him on the field. I mean, it's well-documented. He's really had some issues with, um, with keeping his, um, uh, keep keeping him on the field and keeping him healthy. And I think he can be a game changer for them. He can, even if he hits down in the lineup in the nine hole in this situation where you have a DH, you can go nine, one, two, and have quite a bit of, uh, athleticism. Um, you know, even at the bottom of the lineup, if guys like Kingery and, and, uh, um, and Roman are down there. I think that uh, he can create some havoc and, and do some things um, that are pretty impressive. He was working on his bunting earlier. Uh, I think he's got to keep the ball out of the air, um, which is not all that popular these days, right? Everybody wants to launch the ball. But, um, but I think that those are some of the skill sets he's going to have to utilize to have success.
0: You're, uh, you're speaking our language here with that comment. I can tell you that much. Um, so I, I have to ask you, obviously, Mookie Betts signs a long-term deal with the LA Dodgers. Uh, earlier, you know, before summer camp got underway, Matt Clentak talked a little bit about the, the realities of the market and how things have shifted in the wake of the coronavirus and what that's done to the game from a financial standpoint. Um, Mookie Betts, obviously, it didn't seem to hurt him all that much. Uh, some people would say that it was a bargain. Uh, I guess that's debatable, but... What do you think this means for, for JT Real Muto? And, and what do you think it means for the Phillies in getting a deal done with them? I know that this is the number one storyline leading into this season, and, and it shouldn't be, I guess, but this is the reality that we're kind of facing here.
2: Well, the reality of it, of it is is that the, the, the guys who are real difference makers in the game, the real superstars, they're going to get paid. And, and it doesn't matter what, what situation we are in financially. Um, and I'm so happy and proud of Mookie. I had a chance to be with him for two years and he's an extraordinary kid, a uh, young man. It's not a kid, I guess not anymore, but um, he's an extraordinary young man, great athlete, great person. And, uh, you know, a lot of people doubted uh, when he when he turned down two or, two or three really, really big opportunities to sign and and I'm happy for him, but um, but J.T. Realmuto is one of those guys who is a difference maker as well, and uh, and it's really put I think the Phillies in a tough position position because I think that they want to sign him. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but you know this pandemic and the fact that there were um, signing freezes, I think it was one of those situations where now now their windows closed so much, you know it may not benefit. Um, JT to uh, to 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 sign right now, it may benefit him to wait, and mm-hmm. and uh, and that puts the Phillies in a tough position. Um, th- it's clear that they gave up a lot for him, and he's an important element of the club. Um, <laughs> other people have weighed in, like Bryce and others, but um, but I think the fact of the matter is that uh, it t- it always takes two to tango. It's a very difficult situation. You know, the 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 agent, the player. Um, and obviously the front office and, and the ownership, uh, the ownership group then remains the same, uh, that, that, uh, that I had a chance to work with. I mean, they're dedicated to winning. I know that they're, um, willing to do what it takes. I know John Middleton and I know the Bucks, the Buck family, um, these people want to win. They want, they want to have success and they're not afraid to throw money out there, Uh but it really, you know, is it at all costs? I mean, do you have to have some you know, prudence here and you have to have some some way of being able to define the market? And that's such a difficult situation for a guy like JT.
0: As a former, as a real quick, I just want to follow up on that. As a former GM, does it increase the urgency once you make a move parting with a guy like Sixto Sanchez on your end, you say, well, we gave up a lot to get this guy and now we may have to step up beyond what we really want to do in order to secure him. I mean, do these moves all kind of link together or does everything have to be looked at in a vacuum? You say, yes, we made this move, but that does not necessarily mean it alters the reality of how we're going to proceed moving forward.
2: Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on the situation and, and yes, they gave up a lot of talent, uh, to, to get the player. Um, but I think that they gave up that talent, hoping that, uh, in the two years that they had him under control, they'd be winning with JT. Right. So, um, uh, so that was part of the, probably part of the issue as well. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I can't speak for Matt because I'm not sitting in his office and I don't. Uh, I'm not working with him, but um, but I'm sure that uh, he and Ned Rice and others that are uh, making these decisions, obviously John Middleton and others making this decision. I, I'm sure that they're uh, weighing a lot of the situation. They're trying to figure out, you know, what's what's the best. Uh, way to move forward on this thing and, and uh, hopefully it'll get to the point where they can get something done with them if they don't it doesn't necessarily mean that at the end of the year they can't sign him back so I, I think the fans sometimes get a little ahead of themselves themselves and I understand that because he's such an important part of the club and, and uh, our fans are so passionate about it but if they don't sign him right now um, I don't, doesn't mean that he's not, uh, that he's gone. So uh, I'm sure that the Phillies will be competitive regardless.
1: Remember, one of the things I always considered you a straightforward and honest guy. So I'm all, I've, I'm really kind of looking forward to you serving as an analyst now for this team. Um, and I, I know it's always going to be easy to be, you know, honest and, and be a straightforward analyst when things are good and in the areas of the, of the team that are going really well. My biggest concern and Bob's biggest concern, we talked about this on our last pod, um, is this bullpen. And, and is, it, is it a good enough bullpen um, to, to help, help this team make the playoffs and potentially win the National League East? When you look at this bullpen and, and what's there, do, do you sit there and go, I don't know, like we do? Or do you see something more there, obviously, you know, being closer to the game than, than we are, you see something more there than maybe the general public doesn't?
2: I clearly have some issues with the bullpen. I mean, listen, they, they they don't have the track record uh, track records um, of some of the more, more dominant bullpens, but you know how volatile bullpens can be and Mm -hmm. and how they can switch on and off um, how, how good they can be at times and, and really how bad they can be at times and even year to year. It's 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 a pretty volatile situation. Um, I trust Brian Price. I trust that he's going to try to put these guys in the best position. And I trust Joe Girardi done a nice job with being able to manipulate a bullpen. Um, He's done well there in that regard, I think. And uh, he has the experience. And that's an important element of this, too, is how their guys are being utilized. Um, But, you know, listen, they they need to get Tommy Hunter back and healthy uh, to add some depth. Um, Adam Morgan needs to come back and pitch the way he can pitch. Um, you know, there's a whole host of guys. I mean, obviously, Narris has not made the last pitch of the season. So, um, so you're not sure whether he's going to end up being that guy who's going to be able to consistently nail down, um, you know, the closing role. But I, I have confidence that as these guys have grown, that um, they know how to pitch. I think Brian will We'll work with them, and, and as I said, Joe will put them in the best positions they can to try to have success and and, uh, and kind of go from there. Are there question marks? Sure, because they don't have the track record, but that doesn't mean that they can't get it done. Uh, I,
0: I want to ask you uh, very quickly, and I, I don't want to take up too, or we don't want to take up too much more of your time here, but uh, what are your impressions of Spencer Howard? And I know that this is the name right now, even more so than Alec Bohm, I think, from most fans. What do the Phillies do with him? I mean, obviously, service time things aside, considerations aside, um, how do you see him being utilized this season?
2: I don't think you want to blow a whole season on a 60-game schedule um, season, and so uh, I, I I would see them probably you know, bringing him to the to the big leagues at some point this year. I don't think it's going to happen right out of the chute, um, but but the guy's got a chance to be pretty special. He's got um, I've been impressed, and he's you know he hasn't pitched above what double a so um and not that much at double a but that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have the poise and uh the mechanics to be able to do it he's deceptive he's got a you know the high lead arm he's got great angle um he looks like he's got an excellent quality four pitch mix and um you know just from watching him pitch his last two times out i just really like the way he kind of goes about it um, it doesn't look like he gets too rattled, but you just don't know until he's actually pitching. And uh, and uh, as Charlie Manuel used to say, he's got to face the major league barrels here pretty soon. So, um, and you don't know how he's going to react to that, but I like what I see and uh, the stuff is there and it looks like the poise is there. It's a matter of, uh, you know, him really being able to adjust to what, what it's like to be a major league pitcher. Uh, real
0: quick, Vince Velasquez, uh, do you- He's looked good. I, I've been uh, somebody that's been sort of skeptical coming into this thing. I you don't say. Yeah, I, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, coming into the season, to be honest with you, it was like, we're going to do this again, huh? Like, we're, we're going to fill out this rotation with, with this guy again after 99 career starts, 122 appearances. It's always the same story, flashes of brilliance, and then, you know, it's, it's, it just kind of goes away. Um, he looks like a different pitcher to me right now. Again, limited sample. The lights aren't on for real. Um, What are your impressions of him?
2: To his credit, we've talked about it, and it's been talked about. You know, he's added the cutter. And and what I was impressed with mostly is not just the cutter, but his use of the changeup. Um, and I think where this is where Brian Price really makes a difference in, in this organization. Um, I think he makes people better and he's going to make pitchers better. I think he has a very good understanding and I think it's it's pretty obvious that you don't use one side of the, of the plate, you don't use one area of the plate, you have to use all areas of the plate and utilize all your pitches to be effective in the major leagues. It's pretty simple. You have to use all the quadrants and I think Vince is um, he's starting to gain some confidence the last couple of outings. I've seen him pitch, obviously, pitch much better um, than he has in the past. And, uh, and he looks a little bit better poised. You see, you know, sometimes he gets a little emotional out there um, on the mound. And I think it looks like he's gaining on that a little bit. And, and that, that, that sometimes that takes time. Sometimes it happens faster than for others. Um, I also think that JT Riomoto, his presence back there is going to help guys, especially people ask me about the Wheeler contract and, you know, you think it was too much and was it too aggressive? Well, it's not if you have a guy like JT Riomoto uh, catching him, because I think he can manage him a little bit better than, than maybe he has been managed in the past. And um, and I think that's a, a key element. I mean, there's no question about what Wheeler can bring to the table as far as his arm is concerned but it, for, for me it's about being able to manage the game and I think having JT behind the plate will help him as well on that
0: all right last one and I'll give you some wiggle room here so I don't totally put you on the spot but uh it's been nine years <laughs> since the team has uh, been in the postseason should fans, yeah. let me think of how I want to phrase this should fans be optimistic about the Phillies chances of making the postseason this year
2: you know I like their chances because I like the depth of their start uh, of their starting nine or ten. Um, I think that they've uh, lengthened out their um, their lineup with a guy like Jay Bruce <clears throat> and being able to have Jay Bruce and McCutcheon in, in the lineup as well. they' um, they're, they're kind of dynamic they got some speed with Kingery and and Quinn. Um, you know Bryce Harper can steal a base and has been real aggressive. Um, and I wanted to mention that I've I've been watching him play some of these games, and God, he really plays with with uh, with his hair on fire, and it's an exciting it's exciting for um against us. Um, but but uh, but the reality of it is, this guy loves to play baseball, and he plays hard all the time. He had a hustle double the other day with a couple of stolen bases. He's stealing third base. I mean, my God, it was uh, it was pretty impressive. Uh, you know, playing basically an intra-squad game. So. Um, I think they have some. They have a pretty dynamic lineup. I think the uh, the bullpen's going to be a question. We talked about that earlier, and, uh, and you know, they're starting rotation there. These guys, you know, at the top of the ticket with Nola and and Wheeler, they're going to be fine. I think Jake is um, is looks sharper. He looks um, he looks healthy. I think he's using you know all of his pitches and being able to utilize those free and freely and easily with with no more arm issues. That's big for him. And then you know they just gotta hope those guys in the four and five slot um, can can hold the fort down so that these guys can score some runs off, off some of the some of the weaker um, starting starting pitchers in the league. So I think they've got a, I think they've got a great chance. Uh, uh, there's no question they'll compete. Uh, the question is will they contend? And I think that they will. And um, but they have a very tough schedule, man. It is no uh, walk in the park for these guys. I mean that whole East that we're basically playing in is the national league and American league East, man. It is, uh, it is no picnic and it's going to be a really rough go. There's, there's a, there's a series of a bunch of series in a row where my goodness, it's a tough lineup, but, um, but listen, you got to beat the best to be the best. Right. And, uh, I understand that they're working on some expanded, uh, playoff possibilities, which would be great. Love to see that. And, uh, if that's the case then their chances become even greater, right.
0: Well, I I can tell you that I I wish we could do this for another 45 minutes. As you learned yesterday, I I could talk for a while, but uh, I don't want to take up and we don't want to take up too much more of your time here. So uh, we really, truly appreciate on short notice you jumping on and doing this with us.
2: Happy to do it guys. You'd be well. I'm sure we'll be talking in the future.
0: Yeah. Thanks Thanks again, Ruben. All right. And there you have it. That was Ruben Amaro Jr. Breaking down everything that he sees with this team and, and especially I thought his thoughts on the JT Real contract situation were interesting with his perspective of being a former GM and, and what the market looks like. So again, we really appreciate uh Ruben doing the interview with us there and uh you know hopefully you enjoyed it too. I thought it was really good stuff and a great way to kind of kick off this 2020 season. And and one of
1: the things about that Real Muto thing that he said, Bob, and it's it's the one thing that I think that most fans kind of forget is that there is a Player and an agent negotiating, as well as the general manager. It's not like it's not like every time that things go awry between a GM and a player, that the team didn't want to pay them the team didn't want to give them the money, the team didn't want to the team, 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 team. You always hear that, and of course we always blame the general manager. I mean, it's the easy, easy target. You didn't get the deal done with this player that you should have gotten done. But it, it's very, it was very interesting to hear him say, like you know, there's three people involved in this. There's the there's the player, the general manager. And then there's the, the, the agent, and he says, look, you know, he knows John Middleton really well. He knows the Bucks really well. They're willing to spend money, obviously, right? They're willing to put out money. We, we saw it with the Bryce Harper deal. Um, so you have to think that they're willing to pay a fair market value or maybe even slightly beyond a fair market value for JT Real Muto. And when you hear him say, when you hear Ruben Amaro say, I know they want to sign him. It's because he has a personal relationship with this ownership group that he's telling us this, right? So that's why you have to know that this is something that the team wants to get done. And if it's not getting done, maybe it's because the agent is pushing for something that they deem to be a little bit too extreme.
0: There were two things that jumped out at me about his response. Number one, JT Romuto is getting paid. I mean, yes. this idea, you know, and listen, what Matt Klintak said last month or hell, I don't even know where we're at in the calendar. Maybe it was the beginning of this month about, hey, things have changed a little bit. Like, I agree with that. I, I, I don't think that that's an absurd statement the way that a lot of people think it is. But the reality may have changed. Well, guess what? The reality changed yesterday when Mookie Betts signed that deal. The top player got the top dollar. It established the market. It established the expectation. You're going to have teams like the New York Mets. Maybe even the L.A. Dodgers jump back into the fray and get involved with Real Muto. Somebody is going to pay him. And that reality became crystal clear yesterday. And that's why, for me, the Phillies want to do this the reality of this may be that it's going to take $120, 125000000 million to do it. And I, I think, and, and this is the other thing that sort of jumped out at me based on what Ruben said, was that sometimes fans get carried away, like that they, they kind of get a little bit overly concerned when negotiations happen. We talked about this with baseball, right? When things look so bleak between the players union and the ownership groups. And we said, you know, everyone goes, there's no way that baseball could possibly happen this year. It's over. It's screwed. Nobody's going to watch. And it was all this doomsday stuff. And we said, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is how negotiations work. This is, this is the way in the history of the world when you have two sides that are, on, uh, that are divided. This is what happens. And, and sure enough, we have baseball. So I, I just wonder if we're just getting a little bit too anxious, maybe a little bit too worked up about what has transpired between these two sides. It is a little bit complicated, though the Dodgers and Betts just made it look a lot less complicated. So we'll see if that changes the picture here, changes the dynamics, and, and maybe gets these two sides together. But Ruben did say, even if it doesn't get done leading into the season, once the season resumes, it can still come together. It just might not make a ton of sense for JT Real right now to pull the trigger on the deal. We'll no, see. I mean, he might
1: – and it's funny. It's interesting that he – and I like the way that he answered it talking about Mookie Betts first. And he said, you know, Mookie had an opportunity to sign two big-time contracts previously with Boston and turn them down because he bet on himself. He believed in himself. And ultimately, that's what leads to him getting this uh, deal with the Dodgers Yes, a 12 years at $365 million or whatever the exact number was, right? So maybe JTL RealMuto is looking at it and saying, I'm going to bet on myself in this 60-game season. I think I'm going to have a great 60-game season. I'm going to get myself to the, to the offseason and basically say to the Phillies, you can, you gotta, you, I'm going to give you a chance. Sign me now, or we'll let the market set the price. And the wow. Phillies can't the Phillies can't
0: risk that. Wouldn't it be point. great for morale, just like as this thing's about to launch, today, tomorrow, the news comes out, JT Real Muto Phillies, five years, 120, done deal, like let's go. I mean, wouldn't that just I feel like change the entire vibe around this and this whole thing? Because guess what? Clouded by the JT Real Muto situation, the Phillies have had an exceedingly good couple of weeks at Citizens Bank Park. I mean, they're healthy. Guys look good. You're seeing everything that you want to see out of this team, with maybe the exception of Reese Hoskins, who looks totally lost right now. But other than that, they're getting everything they could possibly want. And not only that, the Mets now have a, a tons of injury issues and uncertainty leading into the season. They looked like they were going to have one arm too many going into that starting rotation, even after the guard injury. And now, all of a sudden, based on what's happened in recent days, they look a little bit thin there. You turn around and you look at what's happening in Atlanta, it's a mess. And then I just wonder about the intrinsic motivation of the Washington Nationals to come back in a shortened season after winning a World Series and and hitting their potential in this season. And I just all of a sudden can kind of talk myself into, and we've said it in recent episodes, the stars aligning for the Phillies. And it's not impossible. And we just talked to a former talent evaluator that told you that there's a lot to feel good about here. So yes, there are questions. Would I... Bet $1,000 on the Phillies winning the NL East right now? No, but certainly this is not the impossibility that I thought it was maybe back in February when I thought we were looking at a 162-game season. Well,
1: this is – that the, the Miami Marlins are a good bet to go over 25 wins, or 24 and a half wins. I think that the national East is going to be very volatile. And I think that, I think all five teams are going to be in this mix. I really do. I think that this is a, it's going to be a unique season in that regard. I don't think that anybody in this division is going to drop out of the race quickly. I think it's going to be a five team race right up until the, the last handful of games. And it's going to be really interesting. And yeah. All right. So, the teams might hover a little bit more around 500 this year, and you might sit there and say, oh, gee, this team should be better than that. Again, with 60 games, to be hovering around 500 is not necessarily a bad thing because what usually happens when you think about it, unless you get off in a regular 162-game season, unless you get off to a blazing fast start, you usually have teams that are kind of in that you know, middle ground that are right around 500, and then the teams that, that suck drop off Right? They, they trade off their assets, they drop off, and then they lose a ton of games in the second half of the year. And those teams that work, quote-unquote, 500 teams through June, right? all of a sudden they get hot in the second half of the year. Why? Because they're playing a bunch of those bad teams. Well, you're not going to have that this year. You're not going to have those schedule quirks where you're playing a bunch of bad teams. You're playing everybody through, every week, I mean, with the exception of maybe the Baltimore Orioles. Every series that the Phillies are playing is going to be against a good team. We're a decent team. Toronto, Florida, Miami are probably, we go decent. And then everybody else is good. So I think that to be around 500 this year is going to be okay. And it might win you the division. You might win the division at
0: 32 and 28 or 33 and 27. I sort of have earmarked 33 as the magic number. And if somebody goes beyond that, then hats off. That in this right. pandemic shortened season with all of the things working against these guys, you know, in terms of rust lack of prep time, stress, the dynamics of not having fans in the stadium. If there's one team in this division that can emerge beyond 33 wins, then, then good on them. But I, I think that that is going to be the number 32-33 that gets it done. Listen, we're going to, I guess, treat this as a season preview type show. But before we go big picture, and we can talk about bold predictions and hot takes and all that stuff in, in a couple minutes, and admittedly, not a ton of production time. Our, our timeline got moved around a little bit today. But we'll do this on the fly. Before we get to that stuff, I want to talk a little bit about what you expect this weekend like let's just look at Friday Saturday Sunday and what you want to see hope to see expect to see from the Phillies as they play three games at home in an empty stadium against the Miami Marlins Uh, what do you think
1: well I mean conventional wisdom would tell you that this is the Phillies should you know if you look at it on paper um, that the 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 Phillies should be the better team, but last year they really struggled against this Marlins team, and I think this Marlins team is a little bit better than last year. So what do I want to see? I want to see the Phillies win two out of three. I, I'm not asking for a sweep. I don't I don't need it to be you know, you know take you know you got to need to come out flying like they did against the Braves last year with that lineup and just smacking the ball all over Citizens Bank Park. That um, would be great if they did. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not going to turn it down, um, but. I think that, you know, we're really kind of looking at a situation where, like you said, there's, there's, you know, who's ready, who's not ready. And I think that you have to be, you have to build in for the accountability of, uh, you know, someone just might not be up to snuff just yet. If you win two out of three, I'm happy with that. You, You know, you lose two out of three, it's kind of like, eh, you lose all three. It's a disaster, right? You can't afford to lose all three. Um, But, yeah, this is one of the teams where you probably have to win more than you lose against them in the division because you're not going to have many of those opportunities.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Two out of three is all you can really ask for. I will say this. Aaron Noel gets the ball opening day, third straight year. A storyline that we haven't talked about and people are going to go, dude, are you kidding me? But just the way that he finished last season, and not that he was awful, but he had some really rocky starts in there. The Phillies wasted some decent starts. I believe they won his final seven games a year ago. I need him to take the ball game one and, and do it just like he did it in Washington on Saturday night, like replicate that performance. Give me six innings, be efficient, get off on the right foot. A huge development that, that we probably should talk about is the fact that Zach Wheeler had his child. He and yep. had his child, I guess it was on Monday night. Right. So, yep. you know, we're in a situation where we thought they were going to miss Zach Wheeler for two possibly three starts and when you drag that out over a 162 game season that's like the equivalent of five six starts that's a huge deal that they're getting Zach Wheeler for his first start in game two and not having to try to fill in that blank so early in the season massive the key and the thing that will make me feel the best after this weekend though is if Vince Velasquez goes out on Sunday here, afternoon. Here we go again. <laughs> and pitches well. And we talked about it with Ruben, you just heard me say what I had to say. That was my take yeah. of the season, but Amaro talked about the cutter, talked about the use of the changeup, and I mean it's been real. It's been down there, you know, it's been real down there at Citizens Bank Park in the intra-squad games. It was real in the start against the Yankees. And I know that people, even if he pitches well, will write it off and say, oh, it's only the Marlins, it's only one game. And that's true. It is only the Marlins, and it is only one game. But you still can see those pitches, and you can still see the effectiveness of those pitches, and you can still see how he sequences and locates, and you can still see his pace. And I don't necessarily care. I I don't think I can write off a good six-inning outing from him if he's efficient if I see all of those things, if I see the implementation of that cutter, that changeup. Then I get excited, and not for nothing, five starts last year against the Marlins. He averaged less than five innings per start, had an ERA over seven. So it's not like this is a lineup that he diced up as a bad pitcher, as an incomplete pitcher a year ago. So I think that Vince Velasquez has a ton to prove and can certainly – gain a ton of confidence out there if he performs well on Sunday
1: I'll tell you Sunday Sunday is the is the game for me that makes you know that really is I'm, I'm most interested about and not just because of Alaska's everything you say is spot on and I want to see that but Philly struggled against Urania last year I, he was he was kind of a tough pitcher for them they only hit 204 against him um, in the three games that, that, that he started against the Phillies um, so like I like you know I I, I, the lineup is is going to be interesting to see how they go against him as well. I think that there's some some matchup issues there that that you know, I want to see how the Phillies how the Phillies respond to that, you know. And and you, you talk about Wheeler on Saturday, the Phillies and the Marlins are trotting out Caleb Smith, um who I kind of like a little bit. I know he's not, not nothing special, but he's a he's kind of like a crafty little lefty uh who could, you know, cause a little cause some issues. Um I kind of actually like the I like the Phillies the best. Against the Marlins' best pitcher, Sandy Alcantara or, Alcantara or however you pronounce his last name, I whatever, uh, I think it's Alcantara.
0: Yeah, uh, I think uh, T Mac last year was going Alcantara, so I just accepted that as. as it God. could be
1: Alcantara. I don't know. It's like when we had the whole argument about Julio Tehran, yeah, right? Tehran, yes, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. Um, but anyway, but no, I actually like that matchup for the lineup best against him than I do against uh, either Smith or Uranian. So, I like, that's why I said I think Sunday's game is the one to me that is going to be the most interesting because there's so many s- small but important subplots that are, that are tied to it.
0: And, and don't forget, you know, the Phillies started last season 3-0, 4-0, I guess. Didn't they go down to Washington in the and first place? The f- smoked well? them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I know that that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but don't sleep on a 3-0 and start. They go out and they somehow sweep this opening series again – it's not quite a 16-game football schedule, but each of these games carries more weight. So, yes. I mean, you know, hey, like, listen, go out there, try to take advantage of these opportunities. And I will tell you, considering that the Phillies went 9-10 a year ago against what was, I believe, a 57-win Marlins team in 2019, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, this team should be plenty motivated to go out there and get this done. I mean, forget the fact that there are no fans. Forget the fact that it's the Marlins and they're, they're supposed to finish last. They've had their hands full with this team over the past few seasons. They should be plenty motivated to go out there and drop the hammer. And granted, this is not the Baltimore Orioles. Like the Marlins are not going to be a 12-win team, you know? But yeah. at the end of the day, the Phillies should be revved up. They should be ready to go. And if how they've played in these intra-squad games is going to truly translate then I like the way that they are set up, at least in this opening series. Then, obviously, you have to deal with the New York Yankees for the better part of, of next week. And and that presents a whole different set of obstacles. So, given the, the schedule, how difficult it's going to be, the way things set up on opening weekend, I'd really like to see a fast start from these guys.
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, if you start 3-0, and that's no different than in a regular – that's the equivalent of starting, like, what, like, five and oh like no more than that right because it's because it's not I mean it's not quite
0: a third yeah yeah right like a seven and oh somewhere it's like
1: it's like seven and oh it's like seven or eight seven and a half and oh is what it really is I mean that's that's huge in this season I mean it, you know you can't long winning streaks or long losing streaks in a 60 game season are either going to be what gets you into the playoffs or kills you okay you, you can't you can't afford to have a losing streak that's more than three games really I mean if you start losing Four, five, six in a row—you're done. No, especially with the urgency, you're just not recovering from that. But if you have a, w- yeah, but if you have a winning streak that's four, five, six games, that could carry you into the to a division title. You could play 500 baseball the rest of the way and still win
0: the division. Yeah, you heard Ruben Amaro talk about it—the start, getting off to a good start, and the urgency of a, a trade deadline looming at the end of August. You know, you're going to see teams if you can get out guns blazing be more likely to, to go all in come the end of August. You're going to see teams that if they get off to a sluggish start, might say, hey, you know what? We're willing to trade away assets. Like it, The way that you start in such a short sample of games is going to be so important moving forward. What happens if you have conversations and you're the Phillies, right? And you've had conversations with JT Realmuto and you don't feel good about those conversations. And you get off to a, a his poor start, your four or five games under 500. come the end of August. Do you even consider, do you toy with the idea of saying, we're not going to sign you? We're going to trade you. We're already out of it. We're going to trade you. And, and again, I don't want to have a, an in-depth conversation about this particular idea. I'm, I'm just using this more to illustrate the wackiness and the importance and the urgency of these these first few weeks. I mean, and if, if we have to have that conversation, we can cross that bridge when we get to it. But it just illustrates the importance of what a fast start can do for each of these teams on an individual basis and what it's going to do to dictate their plans moving forward. Now, let's take a step back and look at this from a more broad perspective. You know, before we get into predictions and what what's your win total and all of that, uh, you know, or any bold, bold, isolated predictions about certain players, I guess let me just ask you a very general question. What is one thing that you expect to go very well for the Phillies this year, and what is one thing that you do not expect to go well? What do I
1: expect to go well? Um, I, I I expect wow that's that's a that's a good question uh, I expect their
2: well i don't know if i
1: don't know if i want to make it specific i have multiple things i want to say I don't know if i want to make it specific to like an individual player or if i want to just make it a team thing but i but i I expect that the Phillies will um have will i think that their offense will be very productive let's put it that way. I think that you know we saw that their ability to put together that one big inning periodically last year, but how many times did we get frustrated that they left men on base and weren't able to get that extra run that maybe they would need and stare and complain about you know not doing it the the right way so to speak i think you're going to see a combination of that this year i think the i think this phillies team will you know will still hit home runs will still have big innings but i think that they will do things to try and scratch out a run here and there i do think that you're going to see them bring back a little bit now I'm not sitting here saying you're you're, going to be bunting every time you have somebody on second base right I'm not saying that they're going to steal 100 bases in 60 games but I do think that they're going to look for opportunities to do that and when they if they do that and they get a steal or run a game and and then you have an inning where you put up four, right now you're probably winning games more often than you're losing games so I think you're going to see that what I think you're going to see is I think you're going to see them be more productive offensively And in different ways than just putting the ball in the seats. So that's something that I I think is is going to be good offensively.
0: Okay. Let me – I'm going to go more specific. I think Bryce Harper is going to win the MVP. He could. I – listen – if you're listening to this show for the first time, because Ruben Amaro was on and you go, Oh God, is this, is this a Homer type show? You know? Uh, no, <laughs> emphatically. No. Far from
1: uh, it. Read our that, comments.
0: Yes. I, I think <laughs> that people know uh, that have listened to the show in the past that we are not always the most optimistic people. I have fully talked myself into this happening. Uh, he looks like he's on another planet right now. You talk to, you know, we talked to Ruben Amaro and, he talks about the energy that he plays with and, and stealing third base and taking extra bases. It's 100 degrees down there. There's nobody around. This guy is, is 100 miles an hour every single day, every single bat. He just looks so locked in right now, the way that he has swung the bat here in camp. I believe that he is probably deep down inside extra motivated after a, a mediocre 2019 season. And I say that, he finished very strong a year ago, you know, it was mm-hmm. a good finish, but just by his own standards and expectations, a mediocre season, his former team for Christ's sake goes on to win the world series. He just looks dialed into me. The well, I think that looks dialed into me. That's got to be driving him a little bit. Don't you think Bob? And he's, he said all the right things and he, he took it like a man. And, and what else are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like the team offered a bunch of different contracts, kind of wanted him there. Money wasn't quite what he wanted to be. The fans kind of said, ha, 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 see, you know, and he, he took it in a very mature way. He never really lashed out, said he was rooting for them, said he was happy for them. But, you know, as a competitor, especially somebody that's as competitive as Bryce Harper is, you know that chap's his ass. And I, I got to tell you, I truly believe that he is going to put up an MVP type season this year.
1: Yeah, I, I, I could see it. You know, whether they whether he's the the guy that's voted for mvp because i think you might have a few guys that put up crazy numbers in a 60 game season uh, you know somebody else might get like a like you know maybe a bellinger puts up like you know it's that like, start uh, that if he, if he has the same start he had last year He's going to have a he's going to be hitting close to 400 with 22 home runs and I mean how do you not vote for him? Oh, on a
0: like local level I always look at like the 93 NL MVP like the season that Dykstra had but then yeah. you know, Bonds is there you know yeah. that's yeah. always the one that stuck out to me but yeah I believe he's going to have either the MVP season or you know something that resembles one. Um, yeah. so I think that's going to go right and that's kind of the reason I'm starting to talk myself into the Phillies uh, being there at the end I think he's going to be the guy that puts them uh, on his back this year so th- that's where I'm, I'm positive and then let's just go you know one one thing that you're a little bit uh, unsure about that you're a little bit uh, scared about you know that gives you some pause
1: fifth inning on
0: <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. up for
1: that one. That's an easy one, right? I mean, even even heard Ruben say. I mean, but even when I was listening to him talk about it, and he's like, and he's like, well, he's like, they really need Tommy Hunter to come back. I mean, if you're really relying on Tommy Hunter to come back to save your bullpen. That's scary, right?
0: You like proven commodities, than the Phillies <laughs> is not. Proven. Hector Neris has never thrown the last pitch of a season.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So we don't have – you have a closer who's maybe not a closer. We don't know for sure. You have uh, two setup guys who are – cross your fingers. Let's hope they can be, be decent in Hunter and Adam Morgan. And then you have nothing else. And you got a bunch of mediocre guys. Like, we talked about that. You mentioned it very briefly. Uh, in the last episode, you talked about Blake Parker about how he's thrown the ball really well. Like, you know, maybe you need somebody like him or somebody that you don't expect to come in and suddenly give you that that great bullpen season that you that you don't that you don't you, you know you don't expect anybody else to have. That's what they're going to need. And so it's a lot of finger crossing, Bob. And so that's why you know when you said Nola, you know, give him six innings, I want him to give you seven. <laughs> Like, like you know, Velasquez gives you five innings. I need six. Yeah. I need that extra inning out of the starters. If they can't give me that extra inning, I'm a, I'm really concerned about the bullpen.
0: Well, listen, I, I look at this and I wrote about him the other day. We've we've seen Reese Hoskins came into camp. The hands were lower. The front half was much more tight uh, to the pitcher. He was a little bit more open at his base. And again, I'm not going to try to go all like I coach high school baseball and, you know, so I'm a you know, hitting instructor. But I, I do have some familiarity with the mental approach to hitting and and the technical approach to hitting. And when I saw those changes, they were designed to create simplicity in his swing, to calm things down, to to make things less complicated. And I understood why he did it. Then he comes back and he, he, well, you know, before we even get to that, he struggles down in Clearwater. He's still adjusting. Anytime you make wholesale changes to your swing, there's an adjustment period. And he was not particularly productive down in Clearwater. Now, they could say off the record, hey, in cage work, we saw things that were really encouraging. We felt good. But the bottom line is when the game started up, wasn't great. Then they shut down for a few months. He doesn't see live reps. And you can do all the soft toss and machine work and T work that you want to do, but you need live reps consistently, especially when you're making such changes. He comes back to camp. He's still doing the same thing. He does not look good. He's off balance. He's he's flailing a lot of pitches. He's dead pool everything. And he's never going to be a right center field gap guy, you know, on a consistent basis. But I mean, everything is to the left side. He's under everything. And I went, this, this looks like a mess. Nana's can't progress as you see that he starts to raise the hands back up and he starts to revert back to his more natural setup. And the other night he called it a hybrid of his traditional stance and these new changes that he was trying to implement. The last two days, I believe he's had somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 to 12 at bats. And I but believe he has one hit, and it was on an infield pop-up that got lost in the sun. And I don't want to put too much stock in intra-squad games, but it was very evident that the Phillies were giving him extra at bats. Like his turn in the lineup didn't just come around naturally six times. I mean, they were sending him up there every other inning, and you can tell they were doing that because they want to try to get him going and get him the ability to see more live pitching. And he's not looked good. Now, I look at Reese Hoskins and I've seen what he can do in the past. I love his approach, I love his patience. I believe that there's a good hitter in there still. But I am wondering where he's at from a mental standpoint right now. He's saying all the right things about feeling strong and comfortable in the box or being strong and comfortable in the box. But I see a player that looks unsure of what he's doing right now. And I fear that – I don't expect him to hit 180 like he did in the second half of last season. But I do fear that he may not be that mid-900s OPS guy – That he was in the first half of last season, and that would be a big blow for this team.
1: It would, Um, but as you know, Bob, sometimes all it takes is a good run, like a good, a good week. Like just have a week where all of a sudden it's clicking, and you don't know why. You don't have the explanation for it. Balls are dropping. You're hitting the ball. You hit a couple line drives. Maybe you put a couple out of the park. You're being productive. You're helping the team win. And that—that's all it takes sometimes to for a guy to then feel comfortable with the plate again. So, and, and just as easily, a, a, a player who has a good approach can be snake bitten for a week and all of a sudden end up in a prolonged slump, and for no—and no, you don't under, understand why. And then you start tinkering and trying to figure it out, and then, and then maybe it makes it worse. So those things can happen. So I, you know, while I don't think that your assessment is off, I, I think that, you, you know, you're analyzing it correctly. You're down there. You're watching it happen. And you're you're making a good analysis of it. Sometimes, though, all it takes is that one little thing to go right for a couple days, and then and then it's all positivity moving forward. And so, like, I, I like to think that that's all Reese needs because, I, like you said, there is a good hitter in there. Um, that if he gets a good run – it will then, you know, like the light bulb comes on and then he goes and he takes off from there. So that's what I – and it would be great if that happened early. <laughs> it would be great if that happened here within the first two weeks of this season and not waiting until September before it happens. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, he's he's certainly a question mark, but it's a question mark that could go one way really well or go the other way and be really bad. It's not one of those I expect it to be bad. So let's just assume it's going to be. I think it's one of those. It could be one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, this could be a situation where the guy is still just getting his feel. You know, like we said, it takes time. There's an adjustment period. Maybe he's on the brink of breaking out. That's entirely possible as well. I just am a little bit concerned about what I'm seeing. And I know for a fact that at no point throughout his career has he ever struggled like this. And when a guy is not used to struggling and has really just had the linear success and the progression that he's had, I just wonder about the mental toll that takes on performance, and we'll see. He's going to answer that question. But this is a pivotal year for him. I mean, the Phillies want him to be a face of this franchise. they, they you know, I've mentioned it numerous times on the show. I've, I found it interesting in light of the season that he had in 2019. I wondered if they might maybe think about doing something different with him this year. He was at the Joe Girardi press conference. Like it is clear as day, they love Reese Hoskins. They they want him to be a big part of this thing. But if he goes out and has another 60 games that mirror the final 60 games that he had a, a season ago. And then all of a sudden, I think they have to start asking questions about the long-term viability of making him a, a, a linchpin of this lineup. Now, that being said, I know uh, we're, we're trying to keep this on a little bit of a tight time frame. Last year, and again, we didn't talk about this, but I know last year we did some bold predictions. Do you have bold predictions queued up, or am I about to put you in a bad spot here by doing it? Mm, go ahead. All right, so I would say what I would like to do before we get out of here is make three bold predictions uh, about the Phillies um, and then give some overall thoughts about, do we think they're going to make the playoffs? Where do we see this thing ending up? And so I'll, I'll start, I'll, I'll lead off and you probably will not be blown away. Uh, it's not bold. If you've been listening to me talk, or at least it's not surprising, but you may think it's bold. Here's my first one. Roman Quinn, not only stays healthy this season, but stays on the field because He is put into the lineup on a consistent basis. Ruben Amaro just made me feel a lot better about this take a few minutes ago when we talked to him. He thinks that he's ahead of Adam Hazley He's going to get the bulk of playing time. That being said, not only do I think that he will stay healthy, but I think that he emerges and becomes a Shane Victorino-type level impact player for this lineup. The ability to steal bases, the ability to play good defense, the energy – that he brings to the lineup and the guy can flat out hit. And I think that we're finally going to see him put it all together this year.
1: So you stole one of mine, ah. um, but I knew that was coming because I know we've had a conversation. I know that you like Roman Quinn a lot. Um, and that was certainly going to be one of my bold predictions as well. So it's good that we're on the same page with that, but now I'm going to try and steal one of yours. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think that y- you're going to get Jake Arietta of old. And pre phillies Jake Arrieta. Not, not, maybe not necessarily Cy Young, Jake Arrieta, but I think you're going to get a really solid pitcher in this rotation with Jake Arrieta. I think he's going to have a, a strong season. I think he's going to give you, you know, 11, 12 starts that are, that are excellent. Um, and I think that he's going to be – I'm, I'm more confident in Arrieta being a productive pitcher in this rotation than I am Zach Wheeler. How do you like that?
0: Wow. Wow, that's bold. So yeah. okay, I think okay. I th- not to say that Wheeler is going
1: to be bad. I just think that if I, if I'm putting numbers side by side, I think you might actually find that you're more surprised at the production that Arietta gives than you are we- the production that Wheeler gives.
0: Okay. I wasn't willing to go that far, but I'll tell you that I am somewhat optimistic about the performance of Jake Arietta. I think that for 12 games, he can put it all together. Also, I may have said this here, It wouldn't be completely surprised going into a contract year that he has this frustratingly good season that drives Philly fans nuts. And they say, where the hell was that the last two seasons? Bottom line is, though, he's not going to miss bats on a consistent basis. So he's really going to have to rely on his defense, which – is better this season. Uh, and there's no doubt about that. Um, so that'll be helpful to him. But I do think he's stronger. I think he's in a good place mentally. I think that he's healthier than he's been uh, over the past few seasons. And so for 12 games, I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Arietta gives you something that, that resembles that of a serviceable number three starter. So you and I uh, do agree on that front. Um, what's your next one?
1: My next one's going to be one that I uh, used last year, and I'm going to use it again this year because I think it's going to be even better. Uh, I kind of said that I, I felt last year, I remember one of, my, um, uh, one of my bold predictions was that Scott Kingery was going to be one of the more important people in the lineup, that he was going to have a bit of a breakout year. Uh, and although he kind of struggled down the stretch, he still gave you a, a, a really good year, um, and he was still being moved all over the place. He's going to be locked in at second base right now. I think having him play one position uh, primarily for the entire year is going to help him uh, overall. I think he's entering a season where he's going to be a a solid, uh, uh, reliable person in the lineup. Even though he's going to bat towards the bottom, I think he's going to have even better uh, uh, production than than he even had last year. I think you're looking at a guy who's who can get above that 800 OPS plateau, uh, even if he's batting seven or eight in this lineup. Um, and so I think that having him at second base full-time, we're finally going to start to see the comparisons to Dustin Pedroia uh, finally come come to fruition this season.
0: All right. I, I'm on board with that. I like that. I think that the stability will certainly help. Um, Spencer Howard uh, will be in this rotation by the middle of August. We'll say – I'll say August 15th. And I believe that he will be taking the spot of Zach Eflin when he does so. Uh, how about that?
1: That's that's a little bold. That's that's a lot more confident confidence in Vince Velasquez than I've ever seen from you before.
0: I just uh, – I don't want to say I'm buying the hype because I think, in part, I've created the Vince Velasquez hype, which is ironic. Um, you know, I was one of the people down there going, hey, this does look good. Uh, I, I just – I wonder about Zach Eflin and I actually wonder about his ability to stay healthy. You see these stretches that he puts together over five or six starts where he can be so effective and and he gets weak contact and he's super efficient. you just go, man, like this guy's got a real shot. But again, I look at the ability to miss bats or inability to consistently miss bats. I felt like a season ago, he was a little bit lost. I don't believe that him and former pitching coach, Chris Young, Saw eye to eye, and I do think that impacted his performance. But I still have questions about his ability to stay healthy. Uh, He's throwing a simulated game this afternoon at Citizens Bank Park. I don't know if that's already happened. We haven't got any reports out of there. It's closed to the media today, so I don't know. Uh, But there is a chance that he may not even be ready for uh, Tuesday, which would be the fifth game of the season. If it goes well, the simulated game, he would be in line to make that start. I just feel like there's always an issue. It's a back thing. It's a knee thing. Last year, there was the heaviness was the the key word that that kept floating out there when he pitched. If if Spencer Howard is who Spencer Howard, you know, if, if Spencer Howard is who the Phillies say he is, and that everybody that gets his their eyes on this kid says he's got to be in there. He's got to he's got to take the ball. I mean, hell, even the right fielder on Twitch Saturday night was talking about if he's not starting in week two, then something's wrong if that's the case and Vince Velasquez looks so good and you love the the veteran presence of Jake Arietta, and Aaron Nola is is your ace and Zach Wheeler just made 118 million dollars over the next five years well whose place is he taking and, and to me it, it's Zach F1. okay
1: um the third one and I've said this a couple episodes ago and I'm going to say it again and this is the this is where we go negative i don 't think the Phillies get the deal done with j t Realmuto okay i don't and I, and I'm not necessarily sure I, I mean I think two weeks ago I kind of felt like it was a Phillies thing now i 'm not so sure now now i'm not so sure it 's a Phillies thing i look, I think it a lot will depend on how the Phillies are going this year if it's going well, I think they have a better chance of bringing him back if it's not going well, I think they have a worse chance of bringing him back. I think it's one of those ones that's kind of a 50-50. um but I'm leaning towards the fact, like I said, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, if they get it done, it has to get done before the season. If not, he's going to hit free agency, and at that point, somebody will throw ridiculous money at him, and then the Phillies will be in a tough spot. Um, because, they, you know, as you know, Bob, their, their salary cap situation moving forward, I, there's no cap, but their salary situation moving forward is not the greatest <clears throat> when it comes to trying to stay below the luxury tax. And I think that that's what ultimately is is you know where the decisions are going to have to come with this. And and I think that I think somebody else will throw that money at him and and he'll go away. So uh, I think it's disappointing, but that's that's my bold prediction.
0: Man, so much energy and positivity on this show, and then you just piss on it with that. T- <laughs> come
1: on, man. I had to go one I had to give you one negative. I couldn't be all positive.
0: I think and and here comes the uh here comes the grandmother of all bold predictions. This is a new one too. I've I've only developed this over the last 48 to 72 hours. I think and and feel free to play this one back uh come the end of September. I think the Phillies are going to not make the playoffs, but win the NL East. And hear me out on this. I don't think the Marlins are ready. I agree with you that the Marlins are a better team than uh, a lot of people give them credit for. I agree with that. I look at the New York Mets, and there's always that stench associated with the Mets, but I'm trying to kind of you know hold my nose and 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 work past that there's going to be some regression for Pete Alonzo this season that it's just going to happen. Um, I look at the pitching. I am not as optimistic about guys like Michael Waka as is like Mets fans seem to be uh, losing Syndergaard, I know it is happened now. It's It's been a few months, but like we, so we've all just adapted to the reality of it, but it doesn't make it any less devastating. It's a huge blow. I wonder about Marcus Stroman. I don't believe that Marcus Stroman is any longer an elite-level starting pitcher. Obviously, Jacob deGrom is a stud. But I just don't love the Mets like a lot of people do. I I agree that their bullpen will and should bounce back this season. And they lost so many games in the first half of the season uh, because of that bullpen. And they were so good, the Mets were, in the second half. And I understand why people are optimistic about them. Jeff McNeil, an ascending young player. I understand all of that, but I don't. I don't believe that they're better than the Phillies. I just don't. I actually think that the Phillies have a, certainly an advantage when it comes to the coaching. And when it comes to the coaching staff, the manager. I think that the Phillies lineup is deep. I think it's versatile. I think there's enough there in the starting pitching front. So I just. I don't know. I just maybe it's an anti Mets bias on my part, but I think the Phillies are better than them. I think that the Nationals, and I've said this multiple times now, are due for the hangover. I don't believe that they were the best team in baseball last year. Kudos to them for winning the thing and running away with it at the end, but I have two concerns. What's your motivation coming into the season as the defending champ in a pandemic-shortened season? And also, what will the toll be on playing all of those extra games and throwing all of those extra innings? You're Steven Strasburg, everyone loves the guy. He's finally become what people thought he was going to be when he was taken first overall out of San Diego State. Great. To me, there's going to be a little bit of regression on his part. Max Scherzer stud, but do we see this elite level? Do we get his best season here? Like, I don't, I don't see it. And I just think I have, I have a lot of questions about what the nationals are. And by the way, Anthony Rendon's no longer there. And then I get to the Braves. The one team that I would have told you hands, you know, is, is just head and shoulders above the Phillies. They have a ton of issues. You talk about where the Phillies are at in summer camp and how things have developed in a positive nature for the Phillies. The, the Braves are the complete opposite. They have so many things going wrong for them right now, and we talk about getting off to a good start. atlanta has got some serious questions, and i I wonder uh, and, and what the hell have they ever won? You know they, they make all this noise in the pre, you know in, in, in the regular season. I just feel like in this goofy, shortened season that somehow it's going to work out where the Phillies win the NL East. I'm going to go with it.
1: I still like the Braves. I still think that there's the talent depth in that organization is better than here um but you're you you know i'm i'm there with you that the phillies
0: fulton evich the other night yeah he looked he he was like topping out at 90 like all of a sudden like you're like what the hell is that yeah i wonder about like guys like austin riley and guys that have done it for like really short periods of time and i just don't know man like i Obviously, Albies, who's, who hits 900 against the Phillies, is a problem. And, and Acuna is, is I think, maybe the third best player in baseball right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you can make that case. So, I mean, there is a lot of talent there. I would not be shocked by any means if, if uh, the, the Braves went on to win the division. But I just have some concerns about what they are. And, and even with the starting pitching, as, as good as it possibly could be, these aren't established guys with proven track records year in year out that make you go, "Oh boy, you're you're in for it." So we'll see. But I, I kind of like the Phillies as a long shot play here. It's it's not a bad it's not a bad bet. I mean,
1: big bet, Bob. You, you if you had a look at it, you know what are the odds on the Phillies to win the NL East?
0: Uh, I believe plus three twenty five right now. They enter with the fourth best odds, so this is a bold prediction. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's why I, I put it in here because the Mets, I believe, are plus two seventy five. Uh, I want to say the Nationals are like at plus two hundred and fifty, and the Braves, I believe, were the uh, favorite at plus two hundred and fifteen. So it's not like one of these teams is a far and away favorite. The Dodgers, for point of comparison, are minus seven fifteen to win the NL West. So yeah. you know the Phillies are the fourth, the, the fourth in, in the NL in terms of odds, but I think they have like the sixth or seventh best uh, odds in the NL to, to win the World Series. So it's just like it's all in the NL East. It's all kind of just rolled up together.
1: Yep. Um, so I can get behind it. That's probably a good value bet. You know, plus three twenty-five uh, to take to take the fills. Hey, one last thing I wanted to ask you, since uh, I know we're about ready to wrap this up, um, our good our good friend of the program looks like he's going to make the team again. Well, yeah. what, is, what is it about our boy Phil Goslin that at the end of spring training or whatever you want to call this <laughs> summer camp or whatever you want to call it that you know he did the same thing last year he's doing it again this year? And he's just earning himself a spot, and, and it's, it's you know forcing the managers to take notice of what he does.
0: All right, well, actually, it's funny. As we have this discussion, the Phillies have just released their opening day. Oh, here we go.
1: Here All we right. Go.
0: So there are 16 pitchers, and uh, we could revisit that if you want to. The two catchers are Andrew Knapp and J.T. Realmuto. Infielders D.D. Gregorius, Reese Hoskins, Scott Kingery, Gene Segura, and Neil Walker has made the team. And then the outfield, they're going Jay Bruce, Kyle Garlick, Bryce Harper, Adam Hazley, Andrew McCutcheon, and Roman Quinn. Phil Goslin, who hit like 970 over the last week, <laughs> is not on the opening 30-man uh, roster. So uh, womp, that, womp. Is, that is uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the Phillies- Any
1: interesting names in the bullpen?
0: Uh, let's see here. Uh, just a, a quick look. Yolos Guerra, Trevor Kelly, Reggie McLean. Ramon Rosso, uh, Austin Davis. Oh my God. Cole Irvin also uh, is one of these 16 pitchers. And what that tells me is that they're leaving themselves some wiggle room uh, with the volatility of the starting rotation. Joe Girardi talked about having three different rotations and needing to be so deep, deeper than any other year, leaving guys stretched out. That roster would indicate to me that that's uh kind of what those moves are about. But you have a sixth outfielder Kyle Garlic and Kyle Garlick and no Phil Goslin to start. I'm a little bit of all of the guys, at least from a position player standpoint, they carried 14 of them, which is what I thought they would do. It's a 16-14 split between pitchers and position players. Kyle Garlick was um, a guy that I, I, I guess I didn't see making this team.
1: Yeah, I'm a little surprised. I'm so, a little surprised by that. Um, you could have you mentioned your name or my name amongst the bullpen. With those names that were in there. Like and, yeah, and uh, people would people want to flinched.
0: Yeah, I know that with uh Rosa specifically, there's uh, you know, he opened some eyes, some some people there I, I think are really high on him. He's thrown the ball very, very well. But again, going back to what Ruben said at the beginning of the show, not a lot of track records there in place. So that is the Phillies uh, you know, opening day roster. Again, fluid situation. These names could be bouncing in and out over the next few days, uh, but that's the way it looks like it's going to line up for right now.
1: Interesting. I'm, I'm interested that they went six outfielders.
0: I am they, as well. Uh, they,
1: I mean, you really don't have any flexibility in the infield. I mean, Neil Walker, you've got to assume, is one of your first primary pinch hitters off the bench, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why he's here. And so if you use Neil Walker, you have nobody else to play the infield.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you can. Uh, Jay Bruce can can play first base. first base. if he has to, but other than that, no. I mean, uh, it doesn't leave you a ton of flexibility at the onset here uh, in that regard. So, you know, that is what we are looking at. I I guess, I I guess of all the names, frankly, that I'm I'm surprised most by Austin Davis. <laughs> I just am. I, yeah. That was a guy that I felt was, was sucking innings down the stretch last year for a team that was going nowhere fast. And I, I, I don't see the upside in him, but okay. So, Crazy. Now, and on that note.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> is a little I don't, bit. A
0: little, little bit of a downer. I, I don't want to change my overall outlook about the 2020 season because Phil Goslin didn't make the opening. No, no, I get that. But it's. There, there's, there are some surprises in there. Uh, You yeah. know, so we'll see how things shake out. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, well, listen, I know that we're up against it here. Uh, That will do it for the latest episode of Crossed Up. I'm going to say that there is a very good chance that we will be recording Sunday after the opening series, so I would expect uh, our next episode to drop on either Sunday night or Monday morning, taking you into the work week as the Phillies get set to play the New York Yankees. Baseball is back. I am so excited, Anthony. I know you are, too, despite the release of the 30-man roster there, which was a little bit of a downer just a second ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, thank you for listening to Crossed Up. Be sure to uh, give us a five-star review if you would not mind, and subscribe anywhere that you get your shows Also be sure to check out on the Crossing Broad podcast network, Snow the Goalie with Rush Joy, Anthony Sanfilippo. And that is all we've got for you today, and we will talk to you soon.